Elizabeth Peters and her five-year-old grandson Nathaniel were taking a walk in the country just after the first heavy frost of the season had left a brilliantly covered crazy quilt appearance on all the foliage. Just think, the grandmother said, marveling at this uh, scarlet and gold hillside, just think, God painted all of that. Grandson said yes, and he even did it with his left hand. What do you mean he did it with his left hand? His grandmother asked, puzzled by the remark. His response was, well, at Sunday school we learned that Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God, so he would have had to use his left hand. (laughs) The Bible is quite clear that God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. Jesus himself said in John 4 verse 24, God is a spirit. So he doesn't have a physical body. He doesn't have a right hand or left hand. But he does have compassion. He cares about people. He pours that compassion out on mankind just because he loves us. And we're going to see his compassion on full display in the city of Nineveh. Look with me at verses 10 and 11, the last two verses of the book, Jonah chapter 4. Then the Lord said, speaking to Jonah, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. This passage is going to, I believe, stir some key questions in our minds. We want to consider four questions very quickly this morning. The message is going to be very brief because I want it to lead into our worship at the Lord's table which is a reminder of the compassion of God for all of us as sinners in need of a Savior. So we want to start with the question, what about God's compassion? God Himself asked Jonah this rhetorical question in verse 11. Should I not have compassion on this great city? The expected, reasonable Answer to this rhetorical question is, of course, God should have and does have compassion on people. That's the very nature of God. God is love, the Bible says. So compassion flows from Him because that's who He is. It flows toward those whom He has created. What does compassion mean? The word compassion. Well, the Hebrew word translated most often in the Old Testament as compassion means to love, to love deeply, to have mercy, and to show tender affection toward others. It often applies to God's love and concern for His people Israel, His chosen people. Listen to Micah chapter 7, verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. The Greek word in the New Testament most often has the meaning of tender mercy. It's used once in the Gospel for the Good Samaritan 
who showed compassion to a man who'd been beaten and left for dead on the road to Jericho in Luke chapter 10. The other 11 times the word is used, it's used to refer to God and His concern and pity toward us that causes Him to save and forgive sinners like you and me. There's a great illustration of this found in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You know the story. The son ran away from home, took all of his life savings, blew it all on women and wine, ended up in a hog lot eating the food that the hogs would eat. When he finally came to his senses and decided it was best to go back home, from a long ways off he saw his father running toward him. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says this about the father. He felt compassion for his son and embraced him and kissed him. The father in that parable is a picture of the compassion and love of God for runaway sinners like Jonah and you and me. That compassion also motivated the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, to work miracle after miracle after miracle to heal and change people's lives. In Matthew 9, verse 6, after a long day of healing and teaching, we read this about Jesus. Seeing the multitudes, He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. That's the kind of God we have. So the point of this brief study of the Hebrew and Greek meaning for the word shows us that compassion is who God is. He loves. He loves deeply. He shows mercy to sinners. He shows tender affection for those He has created. And whether that's Nineveh in 770 B.C. or it's Preston, Idaho in 2015 A.D., the songwriter from the Civil War era, Frederick William Faber, wrote a beautiful song that describes this. He said, There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in His justice, which is more than liberty. There's a welcome for the sinner, more graces for the good. There's mercy with the Savior. There's healing in His blood. God spoke to Jonah here at the end of this book to put a claim on compassion as part of his character. But He also spoke to Jonah to not only put a claim on his compassion, but to contrast his compassion with Jonah's pretend compassion. I say pretend because his compassion was toward a plant rather than people. The God of the Bible is full of compassion toward us. Compassion that will never diminish. It doesn't need to even increase because it's as full of compassion. God is so full of love that that will never change even despite our poor responses to His love and compassion. But one of the best ways we can respond to His compassion is by being compassionate people ourselves. That's the second question. What about our compassion? Notice with me God's assessment of Jonah's version of compassion. Verse 10, You had compassion 
This sounds so stupid. On the plant. (laughs) You had compassion on the plant. Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh to be destroyed. He hated them. He was sitting up on a hillside in his makeshift tent waiting for them to be destroyed. That's what he wanted. He had no compassion for them, but he had compassion for this plant. He didn't plant it. He didn't help tend it. He didn't make it grow. God did. He really knew nothing about compassion even though he saw it firsthand in his own life when God spared his life with a great fish in the ocean. And now he sees it in the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. God also created. God created that plant, but more importantly, He created the people of the city of Nineveh. And He loves them. Jonah didn't care that there were people around him who were suffering, people who needed to know truth who needed the compassionate touch of God in their lives, who needed a life transformation, he didn't care. All he was concerned with was his own comfort, provided so briefly by the shade of that tree. And when it was taken away from him, he was upset. All of us this morning know people around us, right in this area and everywhere God takes us, who need the compassion of the Lord. They need to understand that God is a God of love. That He will show them and extend to them His compassion. Paul says this about the compassion of God and our compassion in Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness patience bearing with one another forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone you ever had a complaint against someone yes you have (laughs) I know you have so have I but set aside the complaint and show compassion as the Lord forgave you Paul says so also you should do The King James Version uses an interesting phrase in verse 12 of Colossians 3 to translate that word compassion. It uses the phrase, put on bowels of mercies. In the first century, among those who spoke Koine or common Greek, the word most often used for compassion was that word bowels because it described this gut feeling of interest in and pity for and concern for other people that's lived out in daily life. The literal meaning of the word that's translated by the King James Version bowels of mercies is the word womb. And it it depicts a mother who is concerned for that baby growing inside of her who has a mother's love for that unborn child. Park York, like many others, knew the agony of seeing his wife suffer from Alzheimer's disease as she declined to a mere 86 pounds. He continuously ministered to her needs, clothing her, feeding her, bathing her, doing all the housework and chores, cooking, 
Sometimes she would mumble a word or two, but never a complete sentence. And then one Friday morning, she spoke a full sentence. She asked a question with perfect enunciation. And her question was, Do you want me? Those words greatly impacted her husband, and he responded, Of course I want you. And he hugged her and kissed her. And just as quickly she returned to her state of oblivion that she'd been in for so long. But those four words were never to be forgotten. Do you want me? The awesome truth of the compassion of God is that He wants you and me and the people living around us, our neighbors and family and friends. He wants us. Think of that. The God of the universe who created everything and has everything at His command and has anything and everything He wants, wants you and me. And God wants us to show compassion. It's part of walking with God in 2015. Walking with a compassionate heart with bowels of mercies, with a gut feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit, here's a person who needs Jesus. Here's a person who needs some special kind of help. Here's a person who could use a word of encouragement, a prayer, an arm around them, a pat on the back. Our third question this morning is, what about God's compassion toward children? It is amazing to me that this minor prophet, we call it a minor prophet because it's short, not because it's uh, a worthless message. It's part of God's inspired word. But this minor prophet book of Jonah ends in a rather unusual way with God spelling out His compassion on the city and the people of Nineveh in contrast to Jonah's lack of compassion for the thousands of people who lived there. Notice again the wording of verse 11. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and left hand as well as many animals? I want to start answering this third question by talking about animals for a minute. I'm not a pet lover myself. I like other people's pets. I just don't like having pets of my own. But I want to talk about animals just for a moment. God cares about animals. He really does. The point of verse 11 is to contrast Jonah's concern over a plant with animals and people who had been fasting from both food and water for days in the hope that God would spare their lives, and God did, out of compassion. But in that statement, should I not have concern, should I not have compassion for these people and for these animals? The point is that God cares about all of His creation including the animal kingdom. Let me give one illustration of that fact. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? They weren't worth much back then. Two sparrows sold for a penny. 
And yet not one of them, Jesus says, will fall to the ground apart from your Father. Translation, God cares about little sparrows. He cares about all of the animals that He's made. He cares about dogs and cats and cattle. And animals have been a real joy and comfort to many people. And that's good. But in that same passage of Matthew 10, verse 31, Jesus goes on to say, Therefore, do not fear. Paraphrase, God will take care of you. You are of more value than many sparrows. Sevilla Martin and Charles Gabriel wrote a song clear back in 1905 that is a favorite of many to this day and was made popular by the late Ethel Waters. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. God truly does care about his creation, and mankind is the height of God's creation. And mankind is of more value and more concern to him than animals. Because unlike animals, man has an eternal soul and spirit that either is going to live with him in heaven in his presence forever because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, or that person is going to spend eternity in hell separated from God because of their rejection of Jesus Christ and of his love. Now, setting animals aside for a minute, back to this expression about those who don't know their right hand from their left hand. I did that backwards. Their right hand from their left hand. You see, we, we get mixed up all the time too, don't we? Right hand and left hand. I should know that because I am left-handed. But my point is that some people interpret this to refer to the population of the city of Nineveh as being roughly 120,000 people. And that the statement they don't know their right hand from their left hand is referring to the fact that they don't understand making good moral choices. I disagree with that interpretation. I think everyone, if they're honest about it, knows that they've made bad moral choices. There's probably not a person in this room that hasn't made some kind of bad moral choice at some point. I personally believe that this is talking about little children who don't really know their right hand from their left. And so I believe the population of Nineveh, and many other expositors do as well, was more than 600,000 people. And about 20 to 25% of them were little children. And God is saying, I'm concerned for these people. There's so many of them, including these little children who don't know their right from their left, who don't know that they are sinners and need a Savior. God has compassion for little children. And the application of this statement, they don't know their right hand from their left, I believe is this. I believe that little babies and little children who are not of an age to understand and respond to the gospel, if they are to die, they are with God in heaven. I'm absolutely convinced of that. King David of Israel lost a baby son just after his adultery with Bathsheba. When his servants came to tell him about the boy's death, David said this in 2 Samuel 12, verse 23, Can I bring him back again? 
I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David understood he's in heaven with God. And I'll go see him someday. He's not going to come back here. He's happy where he is. Is there anyone here this morning, male or female, who's lost a little baby? Miscarriage or some other way? I want you to know this morning, that little child, that little baby is with God. Right now. And you can see them again someday. So in this context, I believe that it's talking about little children who don't understand the Gospel, who can't respond yet. God cares about them. He shows compassion to them. He saves them if they die in infancy. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. In Mark chapter 10, you needn't turn there, but Jesus there says to the disciples who were trying to push the children away, permit them to come to Me. Don't keep them away, because of such is the kingdom of God. And Jesus went on to say in that passage, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like these little children, that is, by childlike faith, can't be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus loves children. And there are many children in the world. It's amazing. I've been in Uganda a couple of times. Uganda has almost 50% of its population under the age of 15. 49% of the population of the whole country is under the age of 15, primarily due to AIDS. But God cares about every one of those little boys and girls in Uganda and in every other country of the world. I also want to say this very quickly. I believe that God, in His grace and compassion, also brings to heaven with Him those who have uh, insufficient mental capacity to understand the Gospel. Mental retardation, whatever it may be, if they can't comprehend the Gospel and make a decision for Jesus, even though they were born as sinners, like we all are, I believe God in His mercy and grace and in His compassion takes them to be with Him in heaven. And I'm glad for a God like that. The bottom issue for men and women and boys and girls who can understand the Gospel is faith. Putting our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Children who are old enough to understand and adults all over the world must believe that Jesus died for their sins on the cross paid the penalty of death in their place and offers them the gift of eternal life. Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer who asked them in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, what do I, what do, I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It all comes down to the cross and to faith in what happened at the cross. That's where God's love and compassion were poured out. That's where Jesus' blood was poured out. So that through the cross, anyone can be made right with God and experience His tender mercy. So that brings us to the final question. What about God's compassion at the cross? These dear people of Nineveh, of all ages, responded to the caring 
compassion of God. And they turned that whole city into a haven of hope because they were made right with God on the basis of faith. And I want you to know this morning, that's how mankind has always been made right with God in any era of human history, by faith. Genesis 15.6 says about Abraham, he believed God and that was counted to him for righteousness. It's always by faith. But for them in 770 B.C., their faith was in something that was going to happen 800 years later. Jesus dying on the cross. For us, it happened years ago. Centuries ago. Nearly two millennia ago. Jesus died on the cross. And on the basis of faith in that finished work at Calvary, we can experience the compassion and the forgiveness of God. The cross is not just a representation of God's love, although it is that. It is also a once-for-all payment for sin. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote concerning Christ and the cross in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. It's in the context of loving each other in the body of Christ and ministering to each other with compassion. Here's what he says. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross the cross is where God's compassion and our sins collided (laughs) and God's compassion and his love won out over sin and the devastation that sin brings into human life It was the greatest victory in all of history when God forever took away sin as a blockage, as a hindrance to us being right with God. We wouldn't even be here today if it were not for the compassion and love of Christ at the cross. In 1975, a child named Raymond Dunn Jr. was born in New York. The Associated Press reported that at his birth he had a skull fracture He was deprived of oxygen and it caused severe retardation. As he grew up, his family discovered that he had a lot more things wrong with him. He had 20 seizures a day. He was blind. He couldn't talk. He was immobile. And if that wasn't bad enough, he had severe allergies that limited him to one food item that he could eat. A meat-based formula that was made by Gerber Foods. In 1985, as a 10-year-old little boy, Gerber Food stopped producing that product, that one formula that he depended on to survive. So his mother was frantic. She was calling all over, buying case after case of the product. All the formulas she could find in the stores everywhere. But in 1990, her supply ran out. And without that particular food, her little boy would die of starvation. So in desperation, she called Gerber Foods again for help. The employees of the company listened, and in really an unprecedented action, they used volunteer hours, over a hundred hours, 
to bring out old equipment and set up production lines and make that food item again. With permission from the Food and Drug Administration, they produced that formula that that one little boy needed. But in January of 1995, just before he turned 20, Raymond, known as the Gerber boy, died from his physical problems. The compassion of others toward Raymond was wonderful. But ultimately, Raymond died. And ultimately, we're going to die. The Bible says that. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. But we don't have to face judgment. Because of the compassion and love of God, seen in His Son Jesus and His total sacrifice at Calvary, we can experience the compassion of God. And we can be fed for the rest of eternity, the very bread of life, Jesus Himself. Jewish tradition says that uh, when God said those words in chapter 4, verse 11, that Jonah fell on his face and said, Govern your world according to the measure of mercy. If that tradition is true, then like Jonah, we need to say the same thing. God, govern your world by your measure of mercy. What measure is that? Can you put a ruler to it? Can you weigh it on a scale? There's no way to measure that mercy. It is pouring out moment by moment, day by day, in the lives of people all over the world, in your life and in mine. That's how merciful He is. That's how compassionate He is. And so if that tradition is accurate, then like Jonah, we need to thank Him and praise Him for His compassion toward us who don't deserve it, but who live because of it. We're going to close this part of the service and then we're going to have communion together by singing a wonderful old song, At the Cross. And I invite you to stand for a moment and sing it with me this morning. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight And now I am happy all the day Was it for crimes that I have done He groaned upon the tree Amazing pity, grace unknown And love beyond degree At the cross, at the cross Where I first saw the light And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight And now I am happy all the day But drops of grief can never repay The debt of love I owe Here, Lord, I give myself away 
Tis all that I can do At the cross, at the cross Where I first saw the light And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight And now I am happy all the day At the cross, at the cross Where I first saw the light And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight And now I am happy all the day And now I am happy all the day And now I am happy all the day. Amen. And why shouldn't we be happy, right? Because He is a compassionate God. Pastor Jeff's going to come and lead us in our communion worship this morning.